So uh, we're looking at the book of Matthew, chapter 11. We have John the Baptist, or Yochanan the Immerser in Hebrew. And he's in jail, and he's awaiting death. And so he sends some messengers to Yeshua as he's beginning to question whether Yeshua is Messiah or he's at least questioning whether he is the king Messiah. Maybe he thinks he's the suffering servant, but he's at least questioning whether he's king Messiah. There's a fine line between questioning and doubt. And the proper response to questioning is to go to God and get the answers. The alternative is to let those questions turn to doubt and doubt destroy faith. And so John sends messengers to Yeshua, and we're going to pick that up in verse 1 of chapter 11. After Yeshua had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of the Galilee. When John heard in prison what Messiah was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Yeshua replied, go back and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. And so he asks if, he's, uh, if Yeshua is the one who was to come or should we expect another? And I want you to think about this. We talked a little bit about it last week. Here's a man who stood on the banks of the Jordan River and declared Yeshua to be the Lamb of God. He said, he's one whose sandals I'm not fit to untie. And now he's sitting wondering if he's the Messiah. And I said last week, no matter what you think, ultimately he's asking whether he's the Messiah ben Joseph and the Messiah ben David or whether he's just asking if he's Messiah at all. He's definitely having a moment of questioning and a moment of doubt. And since we looked at doubt last week, I want to look at Yeshua's answer this week. Because as with most of Yeshua's words, we don't always understand what he says because we don't exactly understand what he's saying. And the reason is he doesn't really give answers like we expect answers to be given. And questions he's usually asked aren't questions we would usually ask. If this were one of us and we were John, we would have said, Hey, are you the Messiah? And if so, when are you going to throw Rome out of the country and set up your kingdom? I mean, look here, I'm in jail after preparing the way before you. I'd like to know where the kingdom is and when I'm getting out of here. That's something like what we would say. And Yeshua, he doesn't say, Yes, I'm the Messiah. But he lets his actions speak for him. And so if we want to understand his answer to this question that John has asked, we have to look at the scriptures where his actions are prophesied for that answer. The question we know, is he the Messiah? And Matthew makes no bones about it. If you noticed in the text of the gospel, he says when John was in prison and he heard what Messiah was doing, but John, on the other hand, is questioning. And Yeshua doesn't speak the words, yep, hey, I'm the Messiah, all right. Never does he do that. But what he does is he fulfills prophecies of the Messiah. And not all the prophecies, not the way the people expected them to be fulfilled, but in a way he still fulfilled them nonetheless. So what Yeshua is doing, he's recalling to John's disciples' memories, and Matthew is repeating in, his, in this fashion. He's asking us to recall 
what was recorded thus far. What have we read so far? Well, we read that he healed the sick wherever he went. The blind were made whole wherever he preached. The lame were made to walk. All these things that Messiah was prophesied to do. So we're going to spend a little time looking at where they were prophesied. And the first place we're going to look at is Isaiah 35, verses 4 through 6. And it says, Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come, and He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution, and He will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. And so here Isaiah tells us that when Messiah comes, the blind will see, the deaf will hear. There'll be things that Messiah will do. But look what he couples it with. Look what he couples it with. He begins by saying that there would be vengeance, retribution. And so John is wondering... You know, the text said John heard what Messiah was doing. He heard he was healing. He heard the blind were seeing. And so he's probably saying to himself, well, I see that part of Isaiah being filled, but where's the vengeance? Where's the justice? Isaiah spoke of this earlier in chapter 29 and verse 18. And it says, In that day the deaf will hear the words of the scroll, and out of the gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind will see. Once more the humble will rejoice in the Lord and the needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. The ruthless will vanish. The mockers will disappear. And all who have an eye for evil will be cut down. Those who with a word make a man out to be guilty, who ensnare the defender in the court with false testimony, deprive the innocent of justice. And so again... John's heard what Messiah is doing. He's heard he's healing the blind. He's heard the blind are seen. What about the ruthless, though? What about the ruthless ones who are after his head in just a short time? How come justice is still being perverted? Isaiah said, with your coming, this kind of thing would end. You see, in each instance, Isaiah couples those healings with the ruthless will vanish. And so because... These things are coupled with retribution. John is asking, are you the Messiah? Messiah also said that the good news is being preached. And Isaiah speaks of that too in chapter 52 and verse 7. He says, how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. And again, notice he couples the good news being preached with the reign of God, which again would bring about divine retribution, divine justice, of the uh, retribution of the wicked. In other words, justice for the world. And if we go to Isaiah 61, we get a passage that would be extremely relevant to John because he saw the Spirit of God descend on Yeshua. In verse 1 it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion. All of these things that Messiah was supposed to do 
are coupled with the day of the Lord, with retribution and vengeance against the wicked. And yes, Messiah did all of these things. He healed the sick, the blind saw, the deaf heard, except where's the day of vengeance? And so John is sitting in prison saying, hey, you know, I'm confused. Go ask him if he's the one. Or should we expect someone else? And so Yeshua speaks of the things that he's been doing. But then, as we read from the text, that's not news to John. He said he heard. It said he heard what Messiah was doing. So then Yeshua adds something that could never be mistaken by a first century Jew. They would know that, yes, he's claiming to be the Messiah by these next words. He says, And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. If we looked at that word for offended last week and it was scandalizo, and it means a stumbling block, an impediment in the way. And notice, I want you to notice that it means stumbling block. So the first century Jew who's familiar with the Torah and the prophets in a way that we're not, that would immediately take him to Isaiah 8, which reads this way in verse 14. And he will be a sanctuary for both houses of Israel, and he will be a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. And many of them will stumble, and they will fall and be broken, and they will be snared and captured. You see, the reference to the Messiah is inescapable, but notice that it also states that they will be offended in him. In other words, what is he telling John? He's telling John, yes, he's the Messiah, but many will not accept that and will stumble on account of him. And blessed is he who does not. And so in other words, he's saying, John, hang in there. Hang in there. Isaiah 28 says of it, speaks of it this way. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. The one who trusts in him will never be dismayed. Blessed is the man who trusts. He will not be ashamed. Yeshua alludes to these passages in Isaiah to say that he's the Messiah by comparing himself to this stone. And in doing so, he'll also tell John that there will be many who miss it. And yes, he does all these things. He heals the blind see, the deaf hear, the good news is preached. But because the day of the Lord's vengeance doesn't come immediately, there will be those who will stumble. And so he says to John, don't doubt. Don't be one of them. Don't stumble. He's telling John, hey, I got good news for you and bad news. I am the one. But the day of the Lord's vengeance is delayed. Messiah set forth in in motion. He's opened the door for the blind to see, for the deaf to hear, for the good news to be preached. But the completeness of all of this is going to take time. Think about it. I want you to think about what happens to Yeshua. You know, as I read the Gospels, I'm always amazed by how many people were attracted to Yeshua. We think of Israel rejecting Messiah. Israel loved Yeshua. Think of him. They thought of him as the Messiah. But then something happens. He dies. And when he dies... Most of them write him off as a Messiah. And in fact, even his disciples who should have been prepared because he warned them, they fall away. Thomas says, unless I put my fingers in the nail holes. 
You see, messianic expectation was high, but messianic expectation is nearly always coupled in Scripture with divine justice and with the salvation of Israel. One of the reasons the messianic expectation was so high in the first century was that they viewed the age differently than we do. Because Daniel was so specific about Messiah's coming after 4,000 years, they were certain he was about to appear. They didn't see Messiah's reign beginning only in the seventh millennium, in the last millennium, as we do. But let's look at what common thought was in the first century. Sanhedrin 97a tells us this. Tana Debe Eliyahu teaches, The world is to exist 6,000 years. 2,000 years there was desolation. For 2,000 years the Torah flourished. And the next 2,000 years is the Messianic era. What I want you to see is they felt from Scripture, particularly the book of Daniel, that the Messianic era would start after 4,000 years. But the world to come, the Messianic kingdom, wouldn't begin until after 6,000. And when you think about it, that's exactly what happened. They were exactly right. The Messianic age did begin after 4,000 years. Messiah came. These things started to happen. The good news is preached throughout the world. What was unclear was that between the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, between that and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, there was going to be a period of 2,000 years. They had the days of Messiah right but they had the day of vengeance wrong. And that's what makes John wonder. That's what makes him question. That's what makes him doubt whether Messiah Yeshua was king. Now listen to what Messiah says next. He comes seemingly in John's defense to his disciples. In verse 7 he says, As John's disciples were leaving, Yeshua began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you more than a prophet. He says, what did you go into the wilderness to see? And really, in this phrase, a reed swayed, the possibilities are innumerous. But for me, if I look at the context, he's saying that John is not wavering by the statement, a reed swayed in the wind. You see, a reed swayed in the wind. A reed blow goes whichever way the wind blows. You see this all the time, even in the church today by the undiscerning. You have someone come on the scene and say, this is going to happen or that's going to happen. And the people are all swayed by those words. We have people traveling around the country saying, this is going to happen. Messiah is coming on Rosh Hashanah or Messiah is coming on Passover this year. I know of one teacher, I won't mention his name, but he's declared on at least four different occasions that I know of that Messiah was coming back. And people are always swayed by his words. They're always looking for him to come on that day. And when it doesn't happen, he says something else and then they're swayed in a different direction. In other words, he's saying John is not one who's swayed by what he sees or current events. 
He's a prophet. Then he says, did you go see a man, did you go to see a man in, in fine clothes in a king's palace? And in this is perhaps is a clue as to why they don't see the kingdom they expect. He says, no, John is a prophet. And what happens to prophets? Read in the Bible. Not pretty. They're stoned. They're put to death, which is what's going to happen to John. John is a prophet. He's not swayed by what he sees or hears, but he, sway, he moves only by the word of God that's been spoken to him. He's not in a king's palace because the kingdom isn't here yet. How can he be? Because he's the one who prepares the way. And so then Yeshua says, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way before you. And so finally Yeshua quotes Malachi 3.1 to tell the disciples that John is the one who came to prepare the way. And I want to read a little bit more of Malachi 3.1 for you. It says this, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like refiner's fire, like a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. And the Lord will have men who bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. And again, I want you to notice something. I read this whole thing so that you could see in Messiah's answer again. It's coupled with the day of the Lord, with justice, with retribution. But also we find one of the greatest proofs of Messiah in all of Scripture in this passage. It says, Then the Lord will come to His temple. The messenger of the covenant will come to His temple. While, we've been, while we have Messiah coming to His temple and then we have the judgment of the wicked in the same paragraph, there's actually 2,000 years between those two. Think about it. If we go to Daniel chapter 9 and verse 25, it says this, No one understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble, after sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the ruler will come and the city will destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end will come like a flood. And war will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. And he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of seven, he will put an end to the sacrifice and the offering. You see, the rabbis knew something that the rabbis of today have forgotten. Messiah had to come before the temple was destroyed. Remember our Midrash. I want to read it again from Sanhedrin 97a. It said, the world is to exist 6,000 years. In the first 2,000 years, there will be desolation. 2,000 years, Torah flourished. 
in the next 2,000 years as the Messianic era. Now, in closing, I want to quote from Michael Brown's book, his book, Answering Jewish Objections to Yeshua, Volume 1. And he's going to be quoting a book called An Elaboration of Vilna Gaon, Insights into Hidden Wisdom of the Sages. And in this passage, Vilna Gaon is quoting an argument between the elders of Athens and Rabbi Yehoshua. And the argument is going to refer to that passage that we just that I just reread for you. Here's how it reads. The present should be the midpoint between two productive eras of the world, the eras of Torah and Mashiach, Messiah. But obviously he has not come, for you Jews have certainly not been redeemed. We have crushed you and turned you into a nation of ruin, disaster, and despair. The midpoint of the world has manifestly passed by, and the era of Messiah has not begun. Why then do you persist in hoping for his arrival? Why should he come in the future if he did not come at the appointed hour? Is it not clear that the time for his arrival has passed you by forever? And so here we have a passage quoted by Vilna Gaon, quoting Rabbi Yehoshua. And Rabbi Yehoshua is addressing the elders of Athens. And the Greeks say to him, look, Messiah has passed you by forever. Now listen to his answer. The point being, the rabbis knew Messiah had to come before the destruction of the temple. When the elders asked, where is the midpoint of the world? Rabbi Yehoshua raised his finger and said, here. He was saying that although the Jews had not merited Messiah's coming by their deeds, nevertheless, the era of Messiah had indeed arrived at its appointed time, at the midpoint of the world. And God began turning the wheels of history to ensure the ultimate arrival of the son of David. Now look at this. The rabbi said the era of Messiah had begun at its appointed time, even though the Jewish people didn't merit Messiah's coming. He says the era of Messiah had still begun. And what I want you to see is that this rabbi was convinced The Messiah must come and set up his kingdom before the destruction of the temple. Listen to what else he says. I'm going to close this out. The ropes of King David are the measure of human history. Two-thirds of the world's history, which did not choose to recognize God's dominion, refused to choose life. But the last third will be directed towards eternal life by a providence which will lead Jews step by step to recognition of God. What is the basis of your assertion, asked the elders, that here in the last third of human history, God's mercy is at work and we are in the era of Messiah? Rabbi answered, remember the ropes of David and you will learn the ways by which God directs his world. They teach us that God will never abandon his world, that ultimately the good for which he created it will be realized. Amen to that, amen. This is kind of an amazing passage where Vilna Gaon is quoting a passage written about 1,800 years ago that says, hey, we've entered into the era of Messiah and Messiah has not come. They missed him. The rabbis knew he had to come at this time. John more than likely thought very much the same thing. But with the words of Messiah, his questioning and his doubt are put to rest. Verse 11 says of Matthew, I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom 
is greater than he. None greater than John, save the one that they stand in front of, who is the king of the kingdom, and whose way John prepared. How, let me ask you, how would one in the kingdom of heaven be greater than John? How would one in the kingdom of heaven be greater than John? Well, as we've seen, what is John doing? He's questioning whether Yeshua is the king. He's wondering, where's the retribution? Where's the kingdom? He hasn't yet fully understood that Yeshua is king. Listen to what John 3 verse 1 says. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Yeshua at night and he said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. And Yeshua replied, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Yeshua tells us that no one can even see the kingdom unless he's born again. The reason is, once you're born again, you're fully aware that Yeshua is king. Something that John wasn't aware of. Listen to what it says in verse 16 of chapter 3 of John. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men who love darkness instead of the light because of their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Those in the kingdom are fully convinced and they're greater than those who are still questioning. Well, I'm going to tell you this. I'm sure that with Yeshua's answer, John is one of those members. And let me say this, that in the kingdom, I doubt that there are few greater than John. Amen?